Robert Mitchell, High Tide in the Dream Time. This might be episode 60. And as usual, I'm working by uh, the efforts of my listeners. Because when I get to a certain level of numbers of listenings to the last episode, I make a new one. So uh, I'm pretty inspired about the one I'm going to make. I think you guys will enjoy it. It's called Trust, Surrender, in psychedelics and life and what it's about you know it's a good time because halloween's coming up and i've had a few funny halloweeny things happen this week uh somebody sent me a surrender dorothy glyph when i made a little surrender joke um and you know witches are uh Halloween symbols, but they're also symbols of something that happens when people's unconscious starts to impinge on their ego state. And when that happens, when the things that we've created our ego to keep us from experiencing can no longer be held at bay, we can experience dread. And that is the stuff of nightmares. The things that we are not allowing into our awareness because of the structure of our egos, which is a fiction, which is something that we've designed to keep us safe. Usually when we're really young, when that no longer can keep the sensations, the emotions, the memories at bay that it's designed to screen out, big problems can occur in people's lives. And it is my experience in working with people in the modalities that I do that these impingements on people's ego states are faded. Sometimes they're faded by events. Sometimes they're faded by the work that they're doing with me. Sometimes they're faded by death. Sometimes they're faded by accidents. You know, one of the really interesting things that had happened this week that I saw, I think everybody's seen it, and this is sort of an example of it, is Alec Baldwin accidentally shooting a cinematographer on a film. Well, why it's so interesting and why it sort of speaks to what I'm talking about is Alec Baldwin has had an incredible problem with his anger and with being violent and with assaulting people and verbally assaulting people, even his own daughter. And there's no blame assigned in this, but there are so many events that had been in his life where he could have seriously hurt somebody with his anger and his sort of inability to control his rage, which is a kind of Hades underworld presence in some people because they just have a lot of rage and it's hard for them to contain and maybe the events of their life have brought that up. But what has been fascinating about this tragedy is that Alec Baldwin was somebody who had been violent with photographers and people taking parking spaces from him and people that he thought were, uh, you know, in both his marriages, taking photographs from too close. And, you know, um, 
And then what happens with him escaping any real damage being done, this terrible accident happens that is almost the sum total of all the other mistakes he made without him actually willfully participating in the mistake. And that is a kind of surrender as well. It's, 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 a, it's a reason that you really have to un- encounter the unconscious. And when I say the unconscious, I mean that we all have a totality of ourselves that's tremendous, that knows everything that we've been through, that knows our history, that knows what we're good at and what we're bad at, what we don't like and what we feel sad about and what we feel insecure about and what we feel frightened of. And then we have our, our egos, which are narrow apertures of how we want to allow ourselves to experience ourselves. And those things have usually formed and those apertures have usually formed in response to our environment so that we can feel safe, so that we can feel comfortable, so that we can feel unthreatened. And those experiences, those narrow apertures usually filter out huge parts of ourselves, huge parts of our being, huge parts of our history, huge parts of our rage and our sexuality and our discomfort with certain aspects of being a human being. And, you know, usually we find our unconscious and our projections on other people and things we hate in other people or even in things we love with other people that we don't think are us. Now, one of the things that I experience in my work with people is sometimes in the work I do, states come that are not welcome. Just like those states have been unwelcome in their life. So states that accompany repressed memories, states that accompany abuse, states that accompany discomfort and insecurity and lack of faith and despair will show up in the work that I do. And when it shows up, People usually think that it's a bummer that it has because most people in the work that I do, they're kind of hoping for transcendence. They're hoping for ecstasy. They're hoping for some kind of almost paranormal intelligence to communicate with them in a joyful way. And that happens a lot. And that can be healing. That can be exactly what people need. But what I find is that these states that people dread, that they say, wow, this is the last thing I want to experience today or ever or any day. It can be the best day for them to experience it. And when I say these experiences are faded, I mean it. I mean that sometimes people can't handle things when they're two or three or four or five or seven or nine or 11 or 16. They don't have the ego strength to tolerate the experience. So they just push it aside and it's kind of like, I'll deal with that later. No one thinks I'll deal with that later. 
They just think like, I'm going to skirt by this and I'm not up to dealing with it now. So I'm going to pay attention to other things. And the fate of that is that nobody really gets to do that. Nobody really gets to avoid plumbing the depths of their humanity, of their complicated human experience. The things that we push away and say, no, I'm going to pass on this. Those things return later. Always. And if they're traumas, they appear in other ways. Maybe they appear appear as addictions. Maybe they appear as compulsions. Maybe they appear as physical illness. But they are going to appear. We all have our ledger of the things we have to address in our lifetime. For each one of us, it's different. For each one of us, the challenges are different. And for each one of us, our capacities are different. But it's completely my understanding that each one of us is going to encounter what is ours to encounter. So if we formed an ego state that is just designed to make us feel comfortable and safe and socially acceptable and uh, likable, at some point, the parts of us and the experiences we've had that we're going to have to filter out to be that way are going to return. They're going to return for their day in court. And that may be through other people who do things to us. That may be through accidents. That may, like I said, that may be through illness. That may be through anxiety or depression. The things that we filtered out belong to us, each one of us. The things that we do not feel like we can address or incorporate into our earlier selves will return later in life in another form at another time when the intelligence of the unconscious, which is 90% of us, deems us ready. And for some people, that can be at their death. That can be the mechanics of their life coming to an end. That's how serious these things are. That's how serious these dynamics are. But it can also be in the end of relationships. It can also be in the end of jobs. It can be moving. It can be letting go of things that we've identified with, which no longer serve us. Because the intelligence of life really wants each person to embody all that they are. So if they've chosen to make a lesser version of themselves, a version that can't contain their totality at a younger age because it's not sophisticated enough or it's not safe enough or it's not getting enough support from its environment, those things will come again later in life. 
They will come knocking. There's a real, it's faded. There is a really wonderful uh, myth. I think Sumerian or it might be uh, Mesopotamian. I'm not sure its origin. It's called, it's, and, it, and it really demonstrates this well. It's called Appointment at Samara. And what it is, here's, here's how it goes. One day a guy, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, so it could be wrong, but I'm going to say it this way anyway. But you guys will get it. Um, a guy goes to the marketplace one day to pick up his food. And in the marketplace, he sees death. He sees death looking at him. It's got a scythe, it's got a hood, the whole deal, bony fingers. And he runs from the market and he runs home and he jumps on a horse and he rides his horse for two days away from his home, not telling anyone where he's going. But his family has a a cabin, a home in a place called Samara in a town hundreds of miles away and he rides his horse. Maybe, maybe it's not that far. Cause I don't know if you can ride a horse that far. Maybe it's 70 miles away. Let's say that a couple days. And when he gets to his home, he opens his door and death is waiting for him in his living room. And he says, Oh my God, how did you find me? How did you know I was here? Nobody else knows about this house. And I rode like a madman for two days and I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. And death looks at him and says, oh, well, our appointment was always in Samara. And so the metaphor of that story is that we think that we can escape from our fate. We think we can escape from our fate when we're five or seven, or nine, or 10, or 11, or however old we are, that we cannot contend with the challenge of consciousness. We cannot contend with the challenge of expanding into new parts of ourselves that may include some really ugly and difficult things, that may include rage, may include... um, Violence may include sadness beyond what we've been able to tolerate. And that's going to come back. That's going to come back later in life to be processed and to be experienced. And we're going to have that show up at a time that our unconscious determines that we can handle it now. And it is our initial rejection of that call that is part of our fate. We think, our ego thinks like, oh, I'm going to get away from this. I'm not ready. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to deal with this ever. And the unprocessed trauma, the unprocessed grief, whatever it is, says, I'll be back. I'll be back when you're more ready, when you're more capable when you're more grown up, but remember me because I'm gonna cause problems the whole time until you incorporate me 
into who you are. And when you do, you're going to be more whole. You're going to be more human. You're going to be more powerful and you're going to be more complex. And so what I always... We had a little technical problem there. Um, sorry about that. We're going, I, I usually enjoy the low tech aspect of this. So what it's going to be about and what it can be about with the people that I work with is sometimes the work I do with people is their incident at, is their appointment at Samara. They thought they were coming for something that was much different from what they get. And what they get is not what they want. What they get can be scarier. What they get can be more primitive. What they get can be more difficult to deal with than what they were seeking. And I always think that that's great. I always think that it's great. Because what it indicates to me, despite it being uncomfortable for their ego state, is that they're ready. They're ready to see it. They're ready to experience it. They're ready to see something in themselves that they've been holding from them their entire lives. And once they see it, they can't unsee it as an adult. So wherever they are in their lives, if they're doing the work that they're doing with me and this happens, I know they're ready. And a lot of times people are like, oh no, dread. I dreaded this my whole life and now it's here. This is not what I want to experience. And so what I always suggest that people do when this happens, and it's not just in the work I do, but it's in life, is to surrender to the presence of that which they dread. Surrender to, and you know what? Sometimes what people dread is their greatness. Sometimes what people dread is the things that were intolerable to their parents because they were superior to their parents, because they were smarter than their parents, because they were more complex than their parents, because they're more sensitive than their parents, because they're more profound than their parents. Or sometimes it can be things that were terrible that happened to them. That they were so terrible, they couldn't even remember that they happened until they appeared again. And when that happens, people usually don't believe that what they're seeing is real. That what they're experiencing is real. They think it's made up. And it almost never is. And oftentimes people ask me, is this real? When something like that comes up and my response is always the same. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's real or if it's symbolic, though I would say 95% of the time it is real. And what they need to do is they need to allow the awareness of that 
to wash over them in a defenseless way. Not like, oh, no, I don't like this. I don't want to experience it. But yes, I'm ready to experience this. I'm ready to release the defenses that I've erected against this my entire life that have kept me from being all that I am. Because when, I was, when this happened to me, when I experienced this, when I was little, I didn't yet know all that I was. I just knew a little part of it. I just knew a little bit of it that was, a, was, was, was heading me in a certain direction, but I didn't understand the totality of myself. I didn't understand all that I contained and all that I understood. So this was too much. But now it's back and it wants to be part of you too. And it knows that you can handle it. I've had many experiences like that myself. Some of them um, experiencing psychedelics, some of them experiencing dreams, some of them experiences in real life. But the most important thing is to surrender the sentinel who guards your ego. Because whether things are ecstatically joyful in people's experiences, and I'm speaking specifically of psychedelics now, or they are filled with dread, they are presented to the person with the intention of expanding their comprehension of their totality and using the energy of their totality for their well-being. Their ego state often screens out a lot of the vitality in their totality to keep itself safe. And so when these things come, when these disowned parts of ourselves appear to be known again after we've passed earlier in life on dealing with them, the best thing to do is to allow it. To allow what was unallowable at younger ages, when we had less understanding of ourselves, when we had fewer tools to understand our origins and our challenges and our humanity and our suffering. So the surrender that we seek is to tolerate the intolerable, to say yes to the intolerable because we didn't have the complexity and the profundity to say yes. Children don't have the profundity to say yes to things that seemingly threaten their entire existence. And so when we surrender, knowing that these things can no longer destroy us, that these things can no longer end our existence or our sanity, and that our totality is big enough to absorb them, big enough to create empathy for our suffering of them. 
big enough to create a narrative, understanding what we've sacrificed in ourselves, avoiding these things, what we've lost in ourselves and in our lives so that we could survive, then the energy that's been trapped in hiding these things from ourselves can be released. And where it gets released is into our ego state, is into our day-to-day reality, is into our day-to-day experience where the vitality that was hidden behind these locked doors that we thought we never open and then at some point they fly open because the locks have failed, because they're old, they're rusty, they're brittle. We can welcome these negative, intolerable experiences and all of the vitality that was tied up in hiding them from ourselves. All of the ego structures that were designed to keep us from experiencing this can be disassembled so that something bigger and healthier and happier and stronger and more authentic can emerge. And all we have to do to do this is to surrender what we weren't willing to surrender to before. But we were just saying, no, I'm not doing this now. It's too much. Or I'm too smart for this. Or I don't deserve this. Or I hate this. To surrender to it and to allow it to be known as a part of you. Something that you've survived. Something that you had to be strong to tolerate all these years and allow it to turn into something that can be accepted and yoked. I myself have had a number of these experiences where these things have been revealed to me that I I thought like I didn't know. And all that I was able to experience in allowing the suffering to wash over me was the vitality of a child who was able to endure these things, even though he wasn't consciously able to encounter them head on. And that is the remarkable thing that is in all of us, especially those who have tolerated enormous trauma They tolerated that when they were a child. They tolerated that when there were no adults to help them because for whatever reason, they were either absent or they weren't able to. They didn't have the complexity or the insight to help them. They endured that themselves when they were little kids, girls, little girls, little boys. And there is something so vital in the recognition that they have been able to bring themselves into a complete life, to bring themselves past those experiences into adulthood 
where they can experience those feelings and those situations and those traumas again when they are not so unsophisticated or so unsupported that they don't make any sense and that they're overwhelming and that they threaten their very existence. That's over. That's why the work I do is so exciting because people come up against things that the last time they came up against them, they thought they threatened their very existence. And nobody has ever died working with me and encountering these things. And I think nobody ever will. Because the capacity to tolerate and surrender to these events and memories and feelings that were beyond one's capability when they were small, when they didn't know what their resources were, when they didn't know that life was going to help them out, help them make it. And now that they know it has, they can encounter these things and they can endure anything, any kind of trauma, any kind of memory, any kind of discomfort that once existed in them and still does and wants to be known so that they can know the heroic being that tolerated those things to survive and that they can use that energy. They can bring that energy back into their life. They can bring that vitality back into their life, the vitality that maybe was sacrificed when they were little children so that they could survive. That can return. It can return. It's like a hero's return. And they can become what they were fated to become. And one of those things is happy. Nobody is doomed to unhappiness. Nobody is doomed to depression. Nobody's doomed to anxiety. That is not what anybody's life is supposed to be about. It is an awakening. Those things are an awakening to I am not letting all of myself in here. How do I do it? How do I let all of myself in to this experience through my suffering? It's a doorway. It has never failed anybody doing this. The amount of cathartic healing I've seen in my work when people allow this is astounding but it's never what people ask for. Because what they ask for is usually they want to be comfortable, they want to be happy, they want to be inspired. Those are all the things the ego wants. They want to be in relationships that work. And the totality of the self is not that interested in those things. It sees those things as avenues of realization, but not realization itself. And so... What the self wants, the totality of the conscious and the unconscious, it wants your ego to be an ambassador for it in life. And the way your ego becomes an ambassador for the intelligence of the self is to tolerate these things that have restricted your ego. 
to allow them in without the ego going, I'm bigger, better, and stronger now, but just with the ego going, I'm more whole, I have more humility, I have more love, I have more patience, and I have more to give others from my own vitality. So it's Halloween this week. The goblins and the ghosts and the witches and the Jasons and the Freddy Kruegers, they're all agencies of the unconscious. They're all these rejected parts of ourselves that keep us from experiencing our totality. And they're going to be kids running around pretending they're ghosts and they're being the ghosts of their childhood. That's what's scary. And vampires who feed off the vitality of other people, which is also something that children encounter. That's something else they're going to play with. And what I want to say to the people who enjoy this podcast is to surrender to that. Surrender to those things in themselves that they've rejected that are keeping them from experiencing their vitality. That are Even if those things are horrific. To not have to block those things out to be yourself. And to allow the ghosts of the past to visit and to welcome them. And to say, you know, that was scary when I was a little kid, but I'm not scared now. I'm a grown up. Grown ups are not frightened of ghosts like children are. Because to children, there's no resolution. There's no becoming an adult and being able to tolerate that. There's just the raw state of childhood, of vulnerability, of unknowing. And now that we've all grown up a bit, there's more of a sense of knowing. Of knowing that we can love our life. That loving our life is the medicine that heals all these things. We don't have to reject any part of ourselves. We can love anything that we've been through. We can love anything that we've endured. We can love anything that we've suffered because our lives are an enormous gift. And sometimes we just get stuck looking at the the things that we think that are a pile of manure and not a gift. But transforming those things and welcoming those things into our adulthood and into our wholeness is a way of gifting ourselves. And so when they come, welcome them. When we find ourselves frozen in old ways, see how we can release that. See how we can let things that we've always rejected into our awareness. Even if they, if you imagine they are intolerable because they've always been intolerable, they are tolerable now. So surrender, trust, and receive all aspects of oneself, even the most intolerable 
and worthy of rejection ones. And let that be a vital tonic for all of us for the rest of our lives. 